we live in a world that is being swallowed up by materialism, consumerism, and greed. I don't really say that to be shocking to anyone because I'm not sure a statement like that is really shocking to many of us anymore, but um, we look around us, let's be honest, sometimes we even look at us and we realize how true that it is, right? We live in a world that is being swallowed up by materialism, consumerism, and greed, which, when you think about it, makes perfect sense if this life is all that there is. If this life is all that there is, then why not do whatever you want with whatever you have? If this life is all that there is, then why not do whatever it is that makes you happy? Why not build bigger barns and indulge in more luxuries and consume more for yourself if this life is all that there is. At the end of 2017, there were a number of different sources in the United States that commented on the average spending and saving patterns of Americans. Of course, these are American stats, but I think these patterns have been well established in our country um, as well. For example, the amount of money spent on Black Friday weekend. So Black Friday is the Friday immediately following the Thanksgiving Thursday in the United States. On that weekend alone, the amount of money spent on that single weekend is more than half of the total that is given to churches in an entire year. More money is spent on fashion accessories than on college tuition. Most homes in North America contain more TVs than they do people. Shopping malls outnumber high schools. Get this, the average American house has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years, even as family sizes have become smaller. Even still, one out of 10 people rent off-site storage to hold all their stuff. And off-site storage is now the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. For many people who do not rent off-site storage, their two-car garages are so packed full of stuff that there's no room to actually park their car. It's hard to argue, isn't it? We live in a world that is being swallowed up by materialism, consumerism, and greed, which again, when you think about it, makes perfect sense if this life is all that there is. But part of what Jesus is about to teach us in our passage today is that this life is most definitely not all that there is. And when you come to an understanding that this life is not all that there is, then you need to begin to see the way that you view your money and possessions in a very different way. We need to see the stuff that we do have in a very different light. Today's message is a hard message. It's a difficult message, but it is a needed message. And by God's grace, we are going to see the hope of the gospel in this message as well. Today's message comes from Luke chapter 12. So if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, and the title of today's message is The Danger of Coveting. The danger of coveting. We're back into our series on money and possessions called Counting the Cost. And as we drop into Luke chapter 12 this morning, I just want to briefly remind us of what this series is about and what it's not about. So you may remember these three keys from the last time uh, we were in this series. First, um, this is not just about what's in your wallet, it's about what's in your heart. So this series is not just about what's in your wallet, it's about what's in your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the question of this series is not so much, am I content with what I have? That's not really the question that we're going after. The question we're going after is, am I content with Jesus? 
That's the question we're trying to answer. So this series is not just about what's in your wallet, but about what's in your heart. Second, this is not about guilt, but about grace. When Jesus talks about money and possessions, he never guilts us. Do you notice this? He never guilts us into changed behavior. He always guides us toward a changed heart because when our heart changes, that's when our behavior changes as well. And so if all we're aiming for in this series is changed behavior, then that's going to come from guilt. And that's going to lead to just a big pile of money and possession-covered guilt, right? So we're not going for that. But if we're aiming for a changed heart, then that's going to flow from grace. And that's going to lead to more grace from God within our life as he continues to change who we are. So this is not about guilt, but about grace. And then finally, this series is not about fundraising, but about faith building. You know, Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about most other subjects because he knows that those things, he knows that money and possessions have the ability to take our hearts away from him. And so when we talk about money and possessions, we need to see that the biggest issue on the table for us right now is not our money and possessions, The biggest issue on the table for us right now is our discipleship. It's our relationship with Jesus. It is ultimately our heart. And the way that we handle our money and possessions will most often reflect where we are in our relationship with Jesus. So we need to understand that that stewardship is discipleship. You can't take those two things apart. Stewardship is discipleship. And that now sets the table for us in Luke chapter 12. So let's have our Bibles open. Follow along with me as I read Luke 12, starting at verse 13 and down through to verse 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, Drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, um, we ask in this moment right now that uh, that you would be our teacher. Lord, we... Um, We acknowledge that this is a hard message, this is a difficult message, um, that there are uh, parts of this message and even parts of what Jesus says in this passage that are are just going to rub us the wrong way, they're going to hurt, but Lord, um, in your grace, and if it's truly your conviction within our life, then the hurt is good. The hurt is right, so Lord, I pray, just be gracious to us in this moment, Lord, instead of us fighting back against what you're saying in this passage, I pray that you would find us clear across this room, every heart simply humbled before you and saying, even right now in this moment, this moment, Lord, please teach me what you want me to know. Lord, give me eyes of faith to see what I need to see and ears of faith to hear what I need to hear. Lord, that you would show us, 
Show us our heart. That in this moment, that whatever's there that, that we need to confess, that we need to repent, Lord, I pray, give us the grace to do that. And Lord, in those areas where we need to be encouraged and, and we need to be helped and, and we need maybe a realignment of, of our joy and our hope, Lord, would you be gracious and do that as well? Lord, I pray that, that this would not flow from a spirit of guilt, but rather from a spirit of grace. Lord, that this would not be a time of condemnation, but um, as it's needed, as you have sovereignly determined, that it would be a time of genuine spirit-led conviction because that conviction leads us to life. So Lord, we turn to you, we trust in you, we need you now in this moment. I pray, um, guard me, Father, from saying anything that is not helpful, it's not true, it's not right. Pray, Spirit of God, that you would fill me and that this message would be your message for your people. Lord, nobody here needs to hear what I think. We need to hear what you say. So Lord, please help us. Please lead us. Spirit of God, please teach us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus makes the point of this section very clear. You'll notice at the end of the parable, in verse 21, he says this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this section here is a warning from Jesus about the dangers for those who spend their life laying up treasures on earth for themselves and show little to no concern about seeking the treasures of God that will last for all of eternity. So that's the destination now that Jesus is driving us towards. A life spent chasing the treasures of this world will turn into a life of missed opportunities for the kingdom of God. So as we come into this passage this morning, don't miss this. You can have the money. You can have the possessions. You can have the wealth and the fame and the popularity and all of those things. But part of what this passage is teaching us here is that there's coming a day when the money and possessions will be no more. In fact, part of what this passage is teaching us is that there's coming a day when you and I will be no more. And in that moment, when that day comes, what will eternity reveal about where your treasure was on this earth? Will your treasure be in you? Or will your treasure be in God? That's the question. That's the warning that Jesus gives us in this passage. And in a way here that only Jesus can, he cuts right to the heart of the matter in verse 15. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Notice here in, in this passage, that's the only command that Jesus gives in the entire section. And it's the warning that we need to pay attention to as we come to this passage. As we strive to be followers of Jesus in a culture that's being swallowed up by materialism and consumerism and greed, how do we guard against all covetousness? How do we do what Jesus says here? I want to show you this morning, Jesus gives us three indicators of a life that is marked by covetousness how we know if we're coveting things in this world. So think of it a little bit like this. We're, we're all here together. We're moving through this passage together. We've got God's word open in front of us right now, spirit of God within us to help us and to lead us and to teach us. And, and we're moving through this together. Just picture this kind of like a three-point inspection before we all roll out of the showroom, okay? That Jesus is doing that within us right now. How do I know if I'm coveting things in this life? How do I know if my treasure is me or if my treasure is God? 
Jesus says three indicators to help you know if you're coveting. Here's the first. You can jot this down. Number one, life has become about what you have and not about who you know. That's number one, how you know if you're coveting things in this life. So let's take a minute here and and let's just define this term, make sure we're all on the same page. What is it that Jesus means when he talks about covetousness in verse 15? So here's a simple definition up on the screen based on how Jesus uses this term here in this passage, how the Bible most often uses this term as well. Covetousness is the craving to have more and more material possessions for yourself as a means of security in this life. Covetousness is the craving, it's the longing, it's the desire, it's the insatiable and often unsatisfied hunger that we have for more and more and more material possessions. Notice, for yourself, not so that you can give away, Not so that you can share with others, but for yourself. And you want those things as a means of security within your own life. So think about what this is. Think about all of the the flowers that grow off of this, of covetousness. It's it's greed. It's exploitation. It's manipulation. It's it's the never-ending desire for more stuff within our life, whether that's money or possessions. And to have that stuff, whether or not that stuff is actually a legitimate need within our life. So think about it. Covetousness is the heart that says, I need a bigger house. Whether or not the bigger house is a legitimate need or not. It's the heart that says, I need a bigger house because of what the bigger house is going to give me because of something deeper in my heart that the bigger house is going to provide. I need the bigger house so that it gives me a certain reputation among people that I respect. I want people to think a certain way about me. So I need that bigger house. Covetousness is the heart that says, I need the newer car. I need the nicer clothes. I need the latest upgrade. I need, I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want. And, and more specifically, I need those things because my security in this life is wrapped up in having those things. Now, here's the thing. We would never say it like that, right? Like, nobody's going to come to you after we're done here and say, oh, man, he was describing me. It's like looking in a mirror. Like, nobody's going to say that, right? But we need to understand. We need to know right here, right now, that is the big, fat, ugly green face of covetousness. And that's what this guy is dealing with in Luke chapter 12. Look again at verse 13. Luke says, Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So let's pause here and and just get some context for where we are um, in Luke's gospel. So we don't know exactly who this guy is, but based on verse 13, we do know that he's in a crowd of people. And the sections right before tell us that Jesus has just finished teaching on some really, really important theology. So verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12, Jesus warns against hypocritical false religion. Verses 4 to 7, Jesus exhorts us to fear God above all else. Verses 8 to 12, he's talking about blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God and trusting in the power of the Spirit to live our lives. And so by the time we get to verse 13, it appears that as soon as Jesus comes up for breath from his teaching, this guy jumps in, he interrupts, and he says, Hey, 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 teacher, will you please tell my brother to give me my money? 
That is the covetous heart. You see it? The covetous heart is so consumed with the things of the world that it's going to take the things of God, put them on a shelf, and most often walk past them as though they're not even there. Why? Because the covetous person, to the covetous person, life is all about what they have and not about who they know. We're going to get more to that in just a minute. But consider this for a minute. Here's the thing. This guy comes to Jesus in verse 13 and he says, Hey teacher, would you, would you please tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance? Tell him to divide it with me. Here's the thing. If there's an inheritance to be had, that means that there's a death to be mourned. So at some point in the not-too-distant past, this guy's dad has died, and his dad has left an inheritance probably to his older brother, maybe even to him as well. But instead of this guy being back at home mourning his father's death, in fact, even instead of this guy being back at home trying to figure all this out with his brother, he's chasing down a rabbi to try and bring some kind of resolution to his case, which apparently was not altogether unusual. Rabbis would often do that sort of thing. But notice here how Jesus responds in verse 14. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So what Jesus is saying there, he's, he's basically saying that he did not come to deal with temporary matters in this life. Jesus came to deal with eternal things of God's kingdom. So in that moment, Jesus is not so much concerned about whether or not this guy gets his money. Jesus is concerned about those who follow him having the right perspective of money. Which is why Jesus says this next in verse 15. And he said to them, so at this point, Jesus is he's putting a little bit of distance between him and this guy who's just asked him the question, and now Jesus is looking out across the crowd of people in whom this guy stands. He says, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. <laughs> Is that not a word for our culture today? Notice everything that Jesus says here. He starts by saying, take care. That's a pretty strong word in the original language. It means to look very carefully so that you can perceive what's really happening. So understand that when Jesus says this, it's like, it's like he's leaning into the crowd. He's getting really close to the people. He's looking them right in the eye and he's saying, hey, hey, listen, listen. You need to see this. You need to hear what I am saying and you need to understand this because this can be such a powerful influence within your life. So listen, loved ones, even right now in this moment, take care. Like listen to what Jesus is saying here because this can have such a powerful influence on the way that we live our life. So Jesus says, take care. And then he goes on and he says, be on your guard against all covetousness. The idea here is that you're actively doing something to fight off an enemy. So the question we need to ask right now is, how do we fight the enemy of covetousness within our life? Well, the good news is that Jesus tells us in the very next part of that sentence. Notice what he says. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now let's pause here just for a second. I wonder how many of us are living as if the opposite of what Jesus says here is true. 
you're living as though your life does consist in the abundance of your possessions. I wonder how many of us are living according to this twisted bumper sticker theology that that says whoever has the most toys wins. And as a result of buying into this philosophy, buying into this idea of that's the way that we need to live our life, that, that now you're just working longer hours than you've ever worked before because that's the only path that you can see that's gonna get you what you want, get you the things of the world that you want, get you the things that you can wrap your arms around, get you the things that you can hold in your hands because those are the things that on some level give you the security and the comfort and the hope and the life that you think you need. And so you're going down this path of working longer hours and in in the pursuit of working longer hours and making more money to get more stuff that in the process then you're neglecting your family, you're neglecting your marriage, that some of us maybe even in the room are being absolutely choked by debt and the farther down this path we go, the, the less we begin to see that we're actually ignoring our relationship with Jesus because you've become so concerned with laying up treasures for yourself in this world instead of being rich toward God for eternity. Now please hear me. No condemnation here, right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Spirit-led conviction, yes. Because that leads to life. That leads to change. That leads to hope. But I wonder how many of us are just, we're just going down this path and we don't even see it. And Jesus says here, listen, listen, take care. Be on your guard because this is a very big deal. I want to park here just for a second because we need to see something um, something absolutely massive that Jesus says just in this sentence. There's three different words here that Jesus could have used for the word life in verse 15. Um, One word describes life quantitatively. In other words, it's not so much about the quantity of days that you live, but but it's about the the quantity of stuff that you have. That, That that's what your life is defined by. The stuff that you accumulate, the stuff you buy, the stuff that you treasure up for yourself. One word describes life quantitatively. Another word that Jesus could have used describes life qualitatively. So that life is more about the quality of the relationships that you have and the values that you hold. Not so much about the quality of stuff that you have. Could have used that word, but it's interesting that the word Jesus uses here to describe life describes it on a completely different level. It's the substance of life. It's the true life that only God can give someone through faith in Jesus Christ. So what Jesus is actually saying here in this verse, he's saying for one's true, eternal, everlasting life does not consist in the abundance of the stuff that he has. Okay, It's realizing that the greatest treasure in this life is not something that you can hold in your hands, but rather it is someone who holds you in his hands. That's the greatest treasure of life. The greatest treasure in this life is not what you have, it's who has you. That's your greatest treasure. Your life, your eternal life in Jesus Christ is what matters the most. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have what? 
life, that they may have life and have it to the full, have it in abundance. Same thing that Jesus talks about in John 10 as he's talking about here in Luke chapter 12. And so the lesson that we learn here is that the way that you fight off the enemy of covetousness is by believing that this life is not about what you have, but about who you know. Real life is not about what we spend our money on, it's about who we spend our life for. So just think about this. Coming up to Christmas season here pretty soon, and maybe you're buying Christmas gifts already. Anybody, anybody actually done your Christmas shopping yet? No? No? You're just laughing at that, right? We had a couple of keeners in the first service who are all done already. Um, but just think about this. Worldwide, over the next few months leading up to Christmas, we are going to spend billions upon billions upon trillions of dollars on gifts and presents and trips and this and that. But the thing is, it's not just Christmas, right? Like this is the way of life. This is the materialistic consumeristic mindset of the world in which we live. And, and so we take that mindset, we take that culture in which we live and we hold it up to the light of the gospel. We hold it up to the light of the word of God and think so many times where Jesus says over and over again, he's warning us against the dangers of giving those things a disproportionate value to what they're actually worth. And over and over again in the gospel, Jesus says, seek me. Like, seek me first. Don't seek the treasures of this world. Don't seek the things that are going to waste away and, and you're not going to be able to keep those things. Seek after me. Seek my kingdom. Seek my righteousness. Like, you want treasure in this life? Then seek after the kingdom of God because there's treasure in the kingdom of God that is unlike anything that this life can give you. So Jesus says, seek me, seek my kingdom, seek my righteousness, and all of these things that you need in this life will be added unto you. The idea here is that, that when you put God in his rightful place in your life, when you give him first place in your life and everything that you do flows out of that, then everything else in your life is going to take its rightful place too. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Like, is Jesus not so gracious just to give us these warnings here? How do you know that you're coveting things in your life? First, life has become about what you have and not about who you know. Which leads us then to the second warning. Life has become about what you can own and not about who owns you. That's the second warning that Jesus gives about how to know if you're coveting within your life. So Jesus now is expanding on uh, this warning that he's given in verse 15 and he's going to tell a parable. So parables, of course, are stories that Jesus told to illustrate the spiritual truth that he was teaching. Let's pick it up in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So let's stop there. And let's just make some very basic observations about the story that Jesus just told. 
Okay, so this is like Bible study 101, just basic observations about what we read right here in this story. So first of all, notice that the man that Jesus talks about is already rich at the beginning of the story. Okay, it's the land of a rich man. So what happened to the man through the story is not what made him rich. So Jesus here is not condemning the man because he's wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself. Second, Notice that the land is the focus at the beginning. All that the rich man could do was put the seed in the ground. And there's some work that goes into that, but once the seed is in the ground, he has to wait for the other elements that are beyond his control to make that seed grow. Which means then that the abundance of the crops that did grow were a gift from God to him. And unfortunately, this is where this farmer falls off his tractor because for the rest of the story, he fails to realize that everything that he has is a gift from God to him. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, look again at the story and watch with me how many times this guy refers to himself. Follow along, verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. There it is, bold-faced, right in front of us, right? These are his crops. Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, kind of a weird way to talk to yourself, but whatever. But, but notice this. Note, isn't this really interesting? I wonder how many of us dig such deep holes for ourselves because we rely more on what we think than on what God says. Notice, this guy's talking to himself. He's not talking to God. He's not asking God, what do I do? He's not asking God, how do I help the poor and the oppressed around me? God, what do I do? How do I I share with those around me? How do I be generous with those around me? Instead, he's just talking to himself. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That's 15 times in three verses that this guy refers to himself. And the point here is that the covetous heart has been deceived into believing that everything they have belongs only to them and is solely for their pleasure. Like, I need to get more and more and more and more within this life so that I can find the satisfaction and the life and the security and the hope and the fulfillment in in the enjoyment of the things that I have. And the more that I have in this life, then the better that this life will be. That's the covetous heart. And it's not just that. Like, we live in a culture that for a long time, has exalted the idea of early retirement. Like, also you can cash in all that you have and you can live the life that you've always wanted to live. You can be like this guy and just kick up your feet, relax, eat, drink, be merry, live however you want to live. And again, hear me, there's nothing wrong with early retirement. Nothing wrong with it as long as you're using that early retirement to cash in on eternal investments. Like, it's tragic, isn't it? We get to verse 20. And it's not until it's too late that this guy realizes that he actually owns nothing and he himself is actually owned by God. Verse 20, God says, fool. Like, just let the weight of that fall on you for a second. 
This is God who says this to this guy. Fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What's really interesting here is that the word Jesus uses for soul in verse 20 is is one of those life words that we came across back in verse 15. Um, Only this time, Jesus is not talking about eternal life. He's not talking about the substantive life. Instead, he's talking here about the qualitative life. He's talking about all the things in life that give you your sense of security and stability and happiness and your quality of life. And so God now, in this parable, he comes to this guy and he says, this is what you've based the quality of your life on. Like you've put all your hope and all your security in your grain, in your goods, in your money, in your possessions, in your this, in your that. You've put all of your hope in those things and tonight, God says, all of it's gonna be taken from you. Let me ask you, let me ask me, like if you're counting on the money and possessions of this world to give you the security and the stability and the happiness that you think you need, then what will you do when all of those things are one day gone and you can't get them back? Like one day, for whatever reason, something happens and, and all of that stuff is just gone. And it doesn't matter how hard you try or how much you long, you simply can't get it back. Then, what are you going to do? Perhaps even for some of us in the room, if you're building your life around all the stuff that you have, what will you do when one day you stand before the Lord of eternity to give an account of your life and, and you realize that the one thing that you need the most in that moment is the one thing that you paid the least attention to in this life? Like, friends, we gotta hear this. Like, listen, take care. You gotta see this. Your money and your possessions will not save you. It will not buy you favor with God. It will not buy you eternity. Those things do not have the ability to satisfy you like you think they do. And that's precisely why there's this never-ending craving in your heart for more and more and more of it because when you finally do get more of it, you realize that it's still not enough. And so you want more of it. And Jesus, in his grace, in his compassion toward us, is calling us today to turn away from chasing the temporary treasures of this life, to stop living this life like he doesn't exist and everything that we have belongs solely to us and instead to trust in him for treasure that only he can give us that will truly satisfy us, not just in this life, but ultimately in the life to come. Like, see the weight of, feel the weight of this. Like, God comes to this guy and says, fool. Like, understand something here. He's not a fool because he's planning for his future. There's great wisdom in that. He's not a fool because he's building up his savings. There's great wisdom in that too. He's a fool because he never acknowledged that everything that he has, including his very own life, belongs to God. Not only that, but notice the end of verse 20. These things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Anybody else find that like a super convicting question? (laughs) Whose are these things going to be? Because 
part of the way that we fight against covetousness in our own hearts is to realize that we have a responsibility for how the money and possessions that we have now gets handed off to those who come after us. See, God-honoring stewardship is not just about what you do with what you have in this life. That's a massive part of it, of course. But part of our stewardship is to ensure that there is a clear path forward for those resources to be used for the kingdom of God long after we're gone. So, so see this here. It's almost like, can you just see this pushing up to the surface and, and just showing us what, what really is at stake here, what really matters in all of this. It just reinforces the reality that none of this is about us. Why? Because ultimately, none of our money or our possessions belong to us. Listen to what the Bible says about how we should think about this. Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Here it is. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. We can take nothing out of the world. Like, do you see this? This is this guy's life. Like he's totally missed the truth of that statement in 1 Timothy 6, and then it was too late. So, loved ones, I, I plead with you, I exhort you. In Christ, just listen so carefully. What Jesus is describing here in Luke chapter 12 is the worst form of pride that there is to think that we don't need God for anything in this life. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Like this also actually may even be one of the scariest forms of pride as well to see how quickly and how subtly things like our money and possessions can blind us to our need for God. And when we fail to acknowledge that everything that we have is a gift from God and for God, then two things inevitably happen within our lives, regardless of how much or how little we have. When we fail to acknowledge that everything that we have is a gift from God and for God, then number one, we fail to use our possessions in the way that God desires. And then number two, we fail to spend our life in the way that God designed. When we fail to acknowledge that everything that we have is a gift from God and for God, then those two things will inevitably happen. Why? Because then that's just leading us further and further and further down the path to believe that everything about this life is about us. And that is what makes a person a fool before God. Because life has become more about what they can own and not about who owns them, which is an absolute tragedy. Now, fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us there. He gives us hope. That brings us now to indicator number three. How do you know if you're coveting things in this life? Number three, life has become about what you treasure on earth and not about what you store up for eternity. It's how you know that you're coveting. But, but you'll notice here as we get to the end of this section, we're turning the corner here and here's the hope. Take a look at verse 21. So is the one, Jesus says, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, if, if you're going to fight against covetousness in your life, then there is a fundamental difference that you need to come to terms with. If you're going to um, covet the things of the world, then your life is going to be all about the treasure that you can lay up for yourself. Notice how Jesus says it here. You lay up the treasure for yourself. You are the one laying it up. You are the one who's doing all the work. It's all about what you can do. 
It's all about what you can get. It's all about what you can have. And eventually, inevitably, you're going to find yourself on this never-ending, exhausting hamster wheel trying to find satisfaction in your life but never being able to find it. But when the shift happens, when the transformation takes place in the things that you think and in the way that you feel about the money and possessions you have, then you know that you are rich toward God. When you know that you're rich toward God, it is no longer about the work that you can do. Now it's about the work that has already been done for you. See, when that transformation takes place in the way that we think and in the way that we feel about everything that we have, then you realize in that moment that you are rich not because of what's in your bank account, but you are rich because God has cleared your greatest debt. Like, you realize how rich you are because you have all the comfort and security and fulfillment that you need in Jesus Christ. You realize how rich you are because you have the love of the Father and the forgiveness of the Son and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that right here and right now, you are a child of the king who reigns over a kingdom that owns and controls everything in the universe and it is a kingdom that will never come to an end. So when that transformation takes place in the way that you think and in the way that you believe about all that you have, you realize then that you are rich because life is not about what you have, but it's about who you know. That transformation has taken place. You realize how rich you are because life is not about what you can own, but about who owns you. And you realize how rich you are because life is not about what you treasure on earth, but because you're storing up things for all of eternity. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are rich toward God. And so then you begin to realize When that transformation takes place, you begin to realize that everything that you have, money, possessions, everything that you have and the ways that those things are being used, all of that then is filtered through the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. And so when that issue of the heart is resolved, like when we start to realize that everything we have is from God and for God, when that happens, then we begin to start asking very different questions in our life. Questions like, what can we do to make sure that other people do not meet the same end as this rich man in Luke 12? We begin to start asking questions like, what can we do to make sure that people here at home and around the world are going to know that the most important thing is not to be rich in this life, but to be rich in the next life? And, And it's not just that. But when that transformation takes place in our mind and in our heart, then it becomes a lot more personal as well. We start asking questions like, are there things in my life that I am wrongly coveting? Like, are there things in my life that I'm holding on to so tight and I'm not going to let them go no matter what because I find some kind of security and fulfillment and hope in those things that I should be finding in Jesus? Start asking questions like, how do we steward these resources, not just individually, but how do we steward them collectively as a church, the spiritual, physical, and financial resources, both at home and abroad, so that more people can enjoy the greatest treasure of all in Jesus Christ. Like when God changes our mind and changes our heart, when when that transformation happens, then we start asking very different questions because we realize that we have been changed by the gospel. We have been changed by the finished work of Jesus in our place. The final word this morning goes to the Apostle Paul who talked about this very thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this, but, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So just hear the warning in that. Money has power. Possessions have influence. And it can be so powerful that the insatiable craving for those things leads some people, in fact, to walk away from God altogether, which actually only creates more problems for them than it solves. That's why he says they've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. They've just brought trouble upon themselves. So hear the warning in that, but then also hear the encouragement to come. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, that is, not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That is where life is found. It is found in Jesus Christ.